You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. So as we continue in our worship, I want to invite you to prepare yourself to um, read God's Word with us. As we move into the time for our sermon, we'll be reading from Psalm 146. You can find that in your Bible if you have it with you. Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. We pray that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear and uh, prepare our hearts to receive your word, uh, illuminate it to us. Lead us by your spirit to uh, receive the counsel, the wisdom, the life, the hope, the peace that we have from you in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Morning, Holy Cross. I want to start off by reminding all of you, you we've been in this series through the Psalms for about 15 weeks, really all year, all of 2020. And I consulted with a handful of leaders at the church last year. Uh, in 2019 about particular needs of our church and and a potential series that we should be teaching through and asking questions like, you know, what is on the heart of people? How will we discern like what the best teaching series should be uh, for the upcoming year? And we talked a lot about doing the Psalms. We decided to do a 15-week series to start off the year through the Psalms because the Psalms teach us how to talk to God. The Psalms teach us how to be open and honest and bold and uh, consistent in our conversations with God, no matter what challenges we are facing. And little did we know that this series would meet us exactly where we needed to be, uh, exactly where we were. The Psalms have given us this season to speak with God, to um, run to Him in times of need and crisis and, and fear, and we've said that, that there's not a single human emotion that could be experienced that isn't addressed in the Psalms. And we've covered all of them. Anger, despair, depression, fear, doubt, disappointment, regret, even joy and celebration. Even the times when we uh, maybe even have a collapse of faith. You know, maybe you've experienced all of those emotions Uh, Maybe you've experienced all of those emotions just in the last two weeks. And the question for us this year has been, where do we go in those moments? 
Where do we go in the moments when we feel this way? And we've been practicing, uh, as we've gone to God's word, we've been practicing how to be led to God in trust in his care. And so the, the Psalms are designed to give us language for how to speak to God in moments of crisis and even in joy. And today, as planned, we wrap up the series through the Psalms. And hopefully, we have found that its purpose has been fruitful for you. That whatever you're facing, you have been led more uh, to bringing your cares to God who cares for you. And in our psalm today, Psalm 146, we will see uh, not just the permission that we have to speak to God, we will see an invitation to hear from God and a very important announcement from God. Maybe the most important announcement that there is from God. That's how important this message is. And I know that's a bold statement, that this is the most important announcement that we can hear from God. It's so great of an announcement that I'm going to spend my entire teaching time just focusing on four words. And at the center of this psalm, we see these four words, a declaration from God to his people in verse 6. Would you look at that again? God is faithful forever. Those are the four words. God is faithful forever. It is a declaration and an announcement from God that is so important. It is the best announcement from God that you and I could ever hear. God is faithful forever. And I'll help you to see this great announcement by organizing our psalm under these three headings. The root of disappointment, the specifics of God's care, and the time-traveling king. Now, this last point is a little different and strange, uh, but you'll have to follow along, and it'll make sense, hopefully, at the end. But let's begin with the root of disappointment. Verse 3 to 4 really discuss for us uh, the root of disappointment. And, And that comes from when we put our trust in untrustworthy things or people. Look at 3 and 4 again. Put not your trust in princes, In a son of man in whom there is no salvation, when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that day, his plans perish. Put not your trust in princes or in a son of man. It applies to all of us to say that that when we depend on the great things of the world and the great people of the world, we will be disappointed. And this habit is the, the source of so much disappointment in our life when we trust untrustworthy people. Consider some of the greatest men and women in the Bible that you can recall. I mean, let's start all the way at the very beginning. Let's start at Adam and Eve. They were the crown of God's creation. They were the representation and representatives of all of humankind. They were given this great privilege, the great creation that God had made for them. They were placed in the garden and had all of their needs met for them. They had perfect relationship with God. And God told them to keep watch over his creation and to follow his commands, and they failed. They failed miserably. Instead of keeping watch over God's creation, they rebelled against God. Now think of their son, the firstborn uh, child to ever come into the world, Cain. The first son of man ever born into the world with great promise and great potential in life. And God warned him to keep watch over his heart so that he would not give in to anger 
and be overcome with anger. Well, Cain failed to keep watch over his heart, and in anger he murdered his brother, Abel. But then there were great leaders through time of God's people all the time. The great leaders of God's people were the priests of the Old Testament. God gave them a blessing, and he said, keep watch over my temple and keep watch over my people. They were given this great privilege to be mediators between God and man, and they failed by keeping watch over God's temple and instead turned the temple into a den of robbers, a place of commerce, a place of idol worship, gambling, and greed. We could go on to talk about all the greats of Scripture, like Abraham and Moses and David and Peter and Paul. And it doesn't matter what person that we look to, what hero of the faith that we have in Scripture, the person that we admire, whether it's a person in biblical history, American history, whether it's a person in our own family tree, they are merely imperfect people who make very poor places of trust in our life. Our promises, our ambitions, and declarations are merely wishful plans that vanish into thin air when our lungs give out and when we perish from the earth. I remember the moment that I felt the gravity of our current global crisis, of the the coronavirus crisis. I remember the moment where I was in uh, in my house and I was scrolling through the news of the day And I remember the moment that it really hit me. And it sounds strange, but it was the day that I heard that my favorite actor, and probably many of your favorite actor, Tom Hanks, had contracted uh, the disease. On the same day, the NBA canceled uh, the rest of the season. Uh, March Madness was called off. Uh, No more NCAA basketball. Uh, President Trump delivered an address by television that evening. And at that moment, I, I wasn't so much uneasy about the spread of the virus as I was skeptical about uh, those who were giving wisdom and advice and plans for how to take care of ourselves. I was skeptical of the level of, of wisdom and honesty and, and even care that was being given to us by, by those in control. At worst, it, it seemed like Or at best, it seemed like people were just guessing about the next course of action. At worst, people were concealing, possibly, uh, information from the world. I also remember the time that I was a young boy, and I remember for the first time that my parents were sinners. I remember it, it dawned on me. I can't remember the specifics of it, but I remember there was a time where I realized, I don't know if I can trust my parents with everything. We are, we're built to trust and completely depend on, on people, on parents, but it was probably in kindergarten I realized that I'm not sure I can trust these people. They're sinners just like me. The root of disappointment is when we build our trust on, on shifting sand and not on a rock. It's when we build our trust on, on people that are not perfect, which is everyone, on, on systems and governments and leaders and authorities that, that simply let us down. And the Lord is that rock. He is the one who is faithful forever. His plans always succeed. His promises never fail. His communication is always true. It's always on time. It's always perfect. 
You see, when we and others fail to keep watch on our faith and maintain faith and often become faithless, God tells us that he is faithful forever. He succeeds where we have failed. He is true to his relationships. He is true to his word and his promises forever. He is awesome. And there is no weakness in him. He never goes back on his promises. You see, the psalmist doesn't just merely say, you know, don't trust in people, but trust in God. But then he goes on to enumerate all the blessings of God's care. He, he goes on to describe why it is that we should trust in God. He lays out the specifics of God's care, and they are truly remarkable. Let's look at some of these specifics of God's care. You can see them in verse 7 through 9. He lists them. Starts off with saying that he gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. He watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. You see, it's striking to see how God is often introduced in the Bible as the one who is the defender of the, the most vulnerable among us, the ones that are hurting the most, which include the orphan, the widow, the poor, the immigrant. How would you want to be introduced? If you were going to an important speaking engagement, someone had invited you to come speak to, to many people, and it was a really important event, and they asked you, how would you like to be introduced? What would you say? You'd likely give something very concise and simple, but something that encapsulated really who you are, your character, your nature, your work, and your, the things that you spend your most time doing. Well, realize how significant this is then, that God is so often introduced as the one who identifies with the powerless, that the one who identifies with taking off up the cause of those who are hurting, rescuing people from their suffering. In this ancient culture of the world, the spiritual powers were, were channeled through the elite members of society. The rich, the wealthy, the well-off, the successful, the priests and governors and politicians, the philosophers, not the poorest. Not the most vulnerable, but the most powerful, the most notable. God doesn't pay favors based on wealth or success. And this is such good news. He doesn't line his own pockets with the bribes of powerful people. He's not a crooked judge or a scandalous lawmaker. He's a friend to the hurting. He's a champion for the brokenhearted. He is a support to the ones who have their head cast down. He is everything that we would hope a leader to be in a time of trouble. Let this comfort us. The one who sits in home, it sits enthroned in heaven and rules over all of creation, he thinks about our hurts, our fears, our discouragements, our sorrows, and he takes up our case and he comforts us. Are you hungry? Hungry for food or hungry for mercy? Hungry for rest? 
Whether your body is hungry or your heart is hungry, take hold of this statement that God gives food to the hungry. He sets the prisoner free. When we grow in faith in God, we'll find that we will also grow in freedom from all the things that entangle us and enslave us. In every area of freedom from mental and moral and spiritual prison. The Hebrew in verse 8 doesn't include the word eyes, but merely says in this next verse that he opens the blind. See, we don't see this word in the original text. We don't see the word eyes. It just says he opens up the blind. We know this includes physical blindness as Jesus loved to heal the physically blind, but it speaks more to a a powerful situation that those who live in darkness the kind of spiritual blindness and spiritual confusion, the kind of person who wanders throughout their life just not knowing God's way or His will. It's the person who says, God, I don't know where you're leading me. I don't know what your plans are in all this, and I don't know what to do. It's for the person who feels hopeless, and to that person, God says, I will show you the way. I will light your path. I will open your eyes. I will reveal my purpose to you. He lifts up the discouraged. Here's talking specifically about those who are emotionally discouraged. He watches over those who don't have a home and who wander. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Now, what does this mean as we look at all of the specifics of God's care? What does it mean? Well, it means a couple things for us. First, it means that if God is for the vulnerable and God loves the poor and the helpless, then we must too. Then we must take up the cause and take up the case of those who are broken and poor and helpless and those who are most vulnerable, especially in times of crisis like we find ourselves. That's the first thing, and we could develop that more in another sermon. But the second thing is it means that when we find ourselves helpless, when we find ourselves scared and vulnerable and poor and confused and widowed and fatherless and sick and depressed, then God is an ever-faithful friend in that time. Do you find yourself in this moment even today? Do you find yourself just discouraged? Do you find yourself weary and fatigued and soul-hungry? Are you emotionally discouraged and broken down? Then I want you to know that God especially delights in using His power as God over all of creation, specifically for where you are right now specifically in these times. You see, when we are in a time of crisis and a time of discouragement, it's not in these times that God turns a deaf ear. It's actually specifically in these times where he does his best work. Let's talk about our world today. Let's talk about what's going on. Because it seems rather quickly our world, our country, our state, and our community, our families, in a matter of just a short 20 to 30 days or so has become riddled with affliction, uncertainty, fear and suffering, sorrow and pain. There's been a disruption of work and relationships and community. There's been a disruption of worship. Now, what does it look like to put on Psalm 146 glasses and to see our current situation and current state of our lives and our world through Psalm 146 glasses. 
If you're experiencing fear and anxiety and worry, sickness, hunger, confusion, or doubt, then God specifically delights in using his power in a time like this. Look at this. In verse 6, we are reminded God wants us to know that he is heaven. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He says, who made heaven and earth? The sea and all that is in them. He wants us to see, before he addresses his personal care for us, he says, look at me, I'm, I'm the creator of all things. I am God Almighty. I, uh, everything is my servant, and I have all of the power and all of creation at my disposal to use it as I, I wish. And so he, he introduces himself as God who is authority over everything. And then he says, guess how I'm going to use that power? I'm going to use it to lift you up when you're broken. I'm going to open your eyes when you can't see straight. I'm going to feed you when you're hungry. I'm going to carry your burdens when you can't carry them anymore. The specifics of God's care are amazing. These are not the times where God is most distant from us. These are the times when God delights in making himself known most specifically to us. How does he do it? How does it happen? Well, I told you this next thing was a ridiculous phrase, but it'll make sense, I hope. It happens through this time-traveling king. Uh, Verse 10 describes what is happening and how God meets our needs. It's a declaration that the Lord will reign forever. He will reign forever. It will happen through God reigning over all of creation with his loving rule forever to all generations. It will come true because the Lord will reign forever. Now, what does it mean? The Old Testament people always understood these promises as future. They always understood that, that, that the Messiah would come, and when he came, he would defend the helpless, and he would uh, open the eyes of the blind, and that all the specifics of God's care were, were future. And he would come, and he would set everything right. He would defeat their enemies once and for all. He would rescue them from all oppression, all physical, spiritual, and emotional oppression. And so it was something very distant in the future that was going to happen that they looked forward to. As if to say, one day there will be a king who will rescue us from our enemies. He will give us peace and life with him forever. And now, when Jesus comes on the scene, he says something to all that were watching that literally gets him killed. That's how... Incredible what he says, uh, how offensive it was when he said it. Literally one of the main reasons why they crucified Jesus. And it was found in the first sermon that was recorded in Scripture, in the Bible, when he starts his public ministry. He goes into a synagogue on the day of the Sabbath. He stands up, he grabs the Scriptures, and he begins to read the Scripture. Let me read to you what he read. It comes from Luke chapter 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll 
And he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then later, just a few verses later in Luke chapter 4, the people drove Jesus to the edge of the city and attempted to throw him off a cliff. Why? They were so angry. Why were they so angry? Because what Jesus is saying is incredibly provocative. He was saying, all that you have longed for in the rescue of God, all that you have hoped for in the future promise of his blessing, all the, eternity, all the blessings of eternity future are now here in the present. He is saying the future has arrived. And all that God has promised for future blessing is accomplished and realized in my life. This is provocative, offensive, and astonishing. It's so radical what he is saying. This is why I called it the time-traveling king. Our hope is that the future promise would break into the present. And this would be shocking for the people to hear at the time. You see, these things were expected to happen in the future, but Christ broke into the present, came on the scene, and he brought, he says, I'm bringing eternity with me. I'm bringing the blessing of future promise with me now. And the resurrection hope of freedom from sin and restored relationship with God has some, was something that was long expected in the future. Jesus is saying, you can have it now. God is bringing the promises of his future hope and rescue from slavery and, and, and satisfaction for the hungry and peace for the fearful. He is bringing it now through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It is here through Jesus that we find God's agenda for how he is going to be faithful to us forever. And you know how God does it? All the, prom all, the, all the punishment for our faithfulness would fall on Jesus at the cross. Jesus would be alienated by his Father so that we could be accepted. He would be lifted up on the cross so that our head could be lifted in encouragement when we are discouraged. He would face death and defeat death so that our present suffering would not have the last word. How do we know that Jesus will rule over all of creation one day and even the things that are yet to come to completion in our world will one day be fully satisfied and fully at peace? How will we know that it will happen one day? Because he's on the throne now. The Lord will reign forever. It is not something that is just going to happen in the future. It is a way of saying your Lord will reign forever because he's reigning now and he will not be moved from his place of reigning. It's, imagine this if you were to say to somebody that you love. Say to them, I will love you forever. What does that mean? Are you telling this person someday... I'm going to love you 
and that love will have no end. Of course not. What we're saying is I love you now and that love will not be moved and I will love you forever. God will reign forever. Is a way for him to saying he's reigning now over our present suffering, over our present discouragement. It is difficult, of course, yes, it is difficult to understand why God has not fully answered prayers that we have offered and why he has not fully brought peace where there is chaos. But we know that God is not confused by anything that is going on in the world. His hands are not tied. He reigns. He's fully engaged. He's not distracted. And nothing, absolutely nothing, will slow him down or get in his way of his plans for good for us. Only in his presence do we find the fullness of joy. Nothing, not disease, not sickness, not death itself can rob us from the promise of our union with Christ. He is faithful forever to hear these words. God is faithful forever. Should be to us words of unspeakable comfort. Because it means that he is faithful today. And nothing will move him. Take it to heart. Rest in his promise. Look to Jesus and trust in him. Let's pray.